from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sails. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CIA podcast. I'm Sofia Besch and I'm here today with Agata Gostinska Jakubowska. Hi, Agata. Hello. Hi. So, Habemos EU top jobs <laughs> or Habemos EU top job candidates, which doesn't sound exciting, but it actually is really exciting if you are in our line of work, which is EU geeks. Who are the candidates that have been decided for the top jobs of the European Union? Agatha, let's hear the names. So first of all, we uh, have a candidate uh, for the European Commission uh, president, and that's um, Ursula von der Leyen. Yes, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the former German defense minister. Yes, absolutely. And I'm sure you will have some <laughs> insights on, on whether she will fit the bill. Then the second, actually not even a candidate, but already incoming European Council president is uh, Charles Michel. Yes, who is the current or outgoing Belgian prime minister. Absolutely. And then we have Spanish national, Josep Borrell, mm -hmm. who is also former uh, European parliament president, and he will be the high representative for common foreign and security policy, if he is approved, yes. by the way. <laughs> so that's the person who shapes EU foreign policy, who leads the EU diplomatic corps. Borrell is the outgoing foreign minister for Spain. Yes, absolutely. And then we still have Christine Lagarde, mm -hmm. a French national, who will most probably run the European Central Bank. Yeah, the ECB decides the monetary policy for the Eurozone. And Christine Lagarde is the outgoing director of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. That's correct. And then we still have another president, the European Parliament president, who was actually already elected by members of the European Parliament. And that's David Sassoli, who is an Italian citizen, and he is coming from the Socialist and Democrats uh, political family. Yes, and he will be the Speaker of the House for the EU. Uh, I wouldn't be making those comparisons, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he will be the President of the European Parliament, the face of, of this co-legislative body in the EU. Right, so just to recap, the European Parliament elections happened quite a few weeks ago mm. now. Why has this been so difficult? Why mm. is this process of finding these names, finding these candidates so complex? Mm. What are the main stakes? Yeah, so perhaps just to start with that, I'm slightly surprised with all the media hype that you know this is an this was an unprecedented stalemate around uh, picking the right people for for, for those uh, jobs because in a way if you follow uh, European politics as we've been following for a, a number of years already you will see that there was always uh, some horse trading and wrangling um, over those uh, positions but I agree that yes perhaps in a way it was more difficult the 
this time for two reasons. First reason is sort of is mainly the European People's Party, which in Helsinki, you might remember, it was already a while ago, decided to basically choose Manfred Weber, who was the chair of the European People's Party political group in the European Parliament. So that's the broadly centre-right Yes, centre-right political family to go for Manfred Weber as its lead candidate or as you would uh, call it in German Spitzenkandidat. Mm-hmm. That means that basically uh, Manfred Weber was broadly representing this political family in the um, electoral uh, campaign and if you follow the Spitzenkandidaten logic that means that since the EPP got the, the biggest number of seats in the European Parliament, Manfred Weber should be the first candidate actually to be considered as the future European Commission president. But the problem was that Manfred Weber already at that time was actually unacceptable to the you know, a big number of, of member states. There were many actually arguments sort of floating around why he shouldn't become the Commission president, one of them being basically that he lacks executive experience. Um, but frankly speaking, I don't think that it was his, his biggest flaw. The biggest flaw was actually that um, I think he was uh, too uh, soft on uh, certain member states um, backtracking on the rule of law. And this is where obviously Hungary comes uh, in the picture. So problem number one, the yes. Spitzenkandidaten process yeah. brought about a candidate that wasn't acceptable to a majority exactly, of Europeans. Exactly, and, and it was difficult to rally EU uh, leaders who, by the way, nominate the candidate mm-hmm. uh, for the Commission president. Problem number two is that these elections produced pretty fragmented European Parliament. So the centre-right, EPP we mentioned already, and centre-left, Party of European Socialists, they lost seats to more radical uh, movements. Uh, by the way, not only anti, uh, anti-European. Uh, the voters sort of shifted away from centre-left and centre-right towards uh, uh, know, Greens, among others, the Greens, the Liberals, uh, the liberals but also uh, uh, Eurosceptic forces. And centre-left and centre-right, for the first time in his history, lost actually overall majority in the European Parliament, which makes the process of selecting uh, a next sort of Commission's president more complicated. So a fragmented European parliament. Fragmented parliament, but also, I mean, European Council, which, by the way, is not uh, is not longer run by the centre-left and centre-right, but you also have a significant voice of liberals in, in the European Council. So putting this all together made the whole process slightly more cumbersome. And one of the dilemmas, obviously, uh, European People's Party had was what shall we do? Actually, shall we defend the Spitzenkandidaten process and insist on Weber becoming a president, even though it was it was very difficult to swallow for for EU leaders, or shall we, you know, sort of ditch him and go for someone else coming from the EPP family, but at the same time bearing the whole Spitzenkandidaten process? So those were the problems with the process and democratic accountability. Mm. And then, of course, there are the underlying issues of in this combination of EU top jobs, there needs to be or there should ideally mm. be some sort of geographic balance, geographic representation of all regions of the EU, a gender balance, mm. ideally in addition to this balance of political ideology. 
So, with all this in mind, what happened this week? What mm. happened uh, on the Sunday European Council and the days that have followed? Yeah. So, I mean, on, on Sunday, it became pretty uh, clear very quickly that, uh, A, Manfred Weber was uh, not acceptable. Angela Merkel actually came from Osaka, from the meeting of G20, with a kind of a deal which was branded immediately as Osaka deal, which she reportedly agreed with the leaders of Spain and, and France and the Netherlands, that actually we should keep the Spitzenkandidaten process alive and hence go for the second Spitzenkandidate nominated by the Party of European Socialists, so the a political family which came second in the European Parliament elections. But again, that was not acceptable to the region I know the best, but also to many European People's Party leaders, including, for example, Leo Varadkar from, from Ireland. So the region you know the best, the Central and Eastern European countries, they weren't happy with Timmermans, the centre-left Yes, candidate. absolutely. They were not happy with him, predominantly because he has taken a pretty clear stance on the uh, backtracking on the rule of law uh, in those uh, member states. But frankly speaking, I mean, that was, that was part of his portfolio as a first vice uh, president. So what happened really is that Central Europe, together with Italy, by the way, was opposing the uh, nomination of Franz Timmermans. And they were so obsessed with Franz Timmermans that actually uh, they perhaps <laughs> not necessarily intentionally uh, led to uh, a nomination of a French national uh, when it comes to the European Central Bank and German national when it comes to the European uh, Commission presidency. Because then on Tuesday, out of darkness, mm. a deal emerged where yeah. suddenly there were a few new names, the names that we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. So let's talk about, and you already started, let's talk about the winners and the losers mm. in this. So there are so many, this is really the European Game of Thrones, there are so many different mm. interests in this whole process. There's this regional balance, there's the conflict between German and French approaches to the Eurozone, to defence. We have a German, we have a French, we mm. have a Spaniard, a Belgian. An Italian in the post of the European Parliament press. And an Italian. That sounds pretty Western European mm. to me. Absolutely, absolutely. But you, you asked me about the winners and losers. So I would uh, start from the glass being half full rather than half empty. And I will say actually that the big winners are those who have been arguing that there should be gender balance in the mix, right? And I think uh, I'm particularly happy to see that eventually we have two out of those posts, hopefully potentially in the hands of of females, which is great to see. Unheard of. Well, but female who have, by the way, brilliant, brilliant CV, right? Of so they, they weren't picked because they are female and that because we want to gen, uh, gender balance, but because they, they are real experts um, in, their, in their field. So that's, I think, when it comes to winners. And then another winner, I think, is simply Emmanuel Macron. Yes. <laughs> he, is, he is probably a big winner of the whole process. Not only the ECB goes to the French women, and it seems to me it was always really France's uh, major goal yes. to secure the post of the ECB. But then uh, Ursula von der Leyen is all, also someone who shares Macron's values, who is liberal, uh, who is, you know, pro-integrationist, 
who, as you will know better than, than I do, in the past actually supported the idea of United States of Europe. Obviously, she might have slightly more nuanced views on what, what that means, but, but that's something that I think Macron very much uh, agrees with. And then, obviously, also the high representative office um, going to the representative of Spain. So, a really good outcome for the French president. Not too bad for um, Angela Merkel. I think, you know, she started already thinking about her, about her legacy. Many actually would say that on Sunday, the Sunday's European Council summit was not really a good day for Angela Merkel. Who came out of that summit in a way sort of criticized for uh, pushing for Osaka Osaka deal. But if you look into you know the the end game, um, she managed actually to secure the European Commission President's office going to one of her closest allies, mm-hmm. someone who is the longest serving or was the longest serving minister in, in uh, Merkel's uh, governments, right? Mm-hmm. Merkel's run governments. So she's probably, a, I still think she's one on the winning, on the winning side. And the, the losers, really, I think that the biggest losers um, are, and it hurts to say this, um, Central Europeans and also perhaps Nordics. Because if you look into the mix, Central Europe is not represented at all. Now, obviously, you will hear the uh, prime ministers of Hungary and Poland saying, hang on a second, we actually got one of the vice presidents, um, uh, Mr. Sefcovich, in there. But Sefcovich has been around for quite a while. And frankly speaking, I mean, you know, the organization of the next commission college will be still determined by the incoming president. So she will decide what portfolio uh, they uh, get. And the Nordics, I think, I think they're not represented at all. Again, the candidacy of Margrethe Vestager, who was in, in the game for quite a long time. I mean, she will be one of the heavyweights in the uh, new commission. But the Danish liberal. The Danish liberal representative. So overall, to sum it, to sum it up, I think that's victory of old Europe. Mm. But that's uh, a defeat of uh, newer member states, which might not necessarily be a good news. And by the way, we haven't mentioned uh, Charles Michel coming from Belgium, right? Uh, and again, a close ally of, of Emmanuel uh, Macron. So, yeah, I think it might not necessarily be positive news for those in new members member states. Mm. So we were careful, I think, in this podcast to talk about these uh, people as the candidates, most of them Mm. as the candidates for Mm. these top jobs, because while the European Council proposal carries a lot of weight, um, it's not at all decided yet, it's not at all over, because the European Parliament still has a role in this process. So tell us about what happens next. So what what will happen next? Um, uh, Ursula von der Leyen will have to be elected by the European uh, Parliament and then together with all the other commissioners and high representative, her college will have to be approved by the European Parliament. So the the vote in the European Parliament on her own candidacy will probably take place in the week of the 15th of July, so pretty soon. And then we will see a lot of wrangling around whom individual member states would like to send to the European Commission to become members of, of the college. And then the whole college uh, will have to be approved by the parliament. But we already see that the whole process will be pretty bumpy because there
there are still quite a few MEPs who are upset, actually, about Ursula von der Leyen's candidacy. Perhaps they don't have anything against her in person, but they don't like the fact that she wasn't one of the Spitzenkandidaten, and they might want to uh, uh, show it uh, to the European Council when they vote. And we already saw an indication of this yesterday when the European Parliament president uh, was elected, so the Italian David Sassoli, who, by the way, uh, I mean, he still got the majority of votes, but not as the overwhelming one as one could have expected. And interestingly, some of the actually socialists and Democrats, I think, didn't vote for, for, for his candidacy. And some of the EPP members of, of European Parliament also voted for another uh, another candidate. So I think when it comes to comes to von der Leyen's candidacy, it will be tight. That's why she already came to Strasbourg yesterday mm. to talk to MEPs. So uh, what you will see in the next week or so, you will see heavy negotiations between von der Leyen and the European Parliament and individual political groups about what she can offer to them mm. and exchange for their uh, support. Will the Greens be an important player in this? Because uh, yeah. we haven't really spoken about green representation in all of this yeah. yet. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that's one of the most interesting questions here because Greens are not, for example, represented in the European Council, so they don't have any EU leaders. So they didn't really have sort of much influence when it comes to nominations. But you're right to say they uh, they will be, they could be kingmaker in the European Parliament if they, if they wanted. And what they've always said was we are more interested in our policies being reflected in the next uh, commission's legislative program rather than in names. So if Ursula von der Leyen is smart enough actually to engage in this conversation about the policies with Greens, she could perhaps get their support, but let's not make a mistake. Their support is not I mean, you know, she can still get... uh, It's not decisive. Exactly. She can still become the president without their support. But it would be silly, I think, to alienate the Greens, who could be an important partner for the incoming commission president in the next five years uh, or so. So I think interesting week uh, ahead of us. Thank you very much, Agatha. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CR underscore EU.